if you've got your outline, this is one of those messages that kind of explains why. Um, it's one of those why messages. Uh, a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about, a lot of the steps that we talk about, we talk about all the time. But now we're going to talk about kind of the behind the reason why or the spiritual foundation for some of these uh, decisions or habits that we want to have. Our theme for 50 Days of Transformation is Romans 12.2, and we've been looking at it every week in the NIV, the New International Version. Today I want us to look at the NLT, the New Living Translation. That's the one that when we used to have Bibles and all the seats, this is the one that we provide as a church. Romans 12.2 in the NLT says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Circle changing the way you think. Every week we've been talking about it being the renewing of your mind. That's the way the NIV puts it. The NLT calls it by changing the way you think. So if I were going to summarize the whole message in just one sentence at the very beginning, and I'm going to, um, I want you to write it down. If you don't write anything else down, write this down, that the summary or the big idea of the message today, the, the life lesson, if you will, of today, is that God is far more interested in changing my mind than in changing my circumstances. Will you fill that in there? Mind and circumstances? God is far more interested in changing my mind than he is in changing my circumstances. Now, we want God to change our circumstances, don't we? We want him to take away all the problems. How many problems you have, you're praying, God, please take these problems away. We want him to take away all the pain, all the, all the sorrow, all the suffering that we see around us or we see in our life, all the sickness, all the sadness, and there's nothing wrong with praying for God to take those circumstances and change those. And God says, yes, I know this is important. But what's really more important than that, he says, is what's happening in you is more important than what's happening around you. And I'm far more interested, God says, in changing your mind than I am in changing your circumstances. Because nothing really happens in our life as far as transformation goes, until we get to the renewing of our minds. No transformation really takes place. No change takes place in our life until it happens in our mind first. Our thoughts have to begin to change. We have to allow him to change the way we think. So the question is, why? Why must I manage my mind? Why is it so important? that I learned to manage my thought life, that I learned to manage my mind. I want to look at how to have a healthy mind and why is it so important that I manage my thought life. And I want to give you three reasons. I hope you'll write these down because they are such foundational truths to all of life. The first reason I've got to manage my thought life is because my thoughts control my life. My thoughts are what control my life. Every single action begins as a thought. If we don't think it, we don't do it. If we think, 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 think it, next thing you know, we're doing it. Now, this is both good and bad. If it's a good thought and we think about a good thoughts and we think good thoughts, we end up doing those good thoughts. Same thing's true on the opposite side, the bad side. If it's a bad thought, bad thought, bad thought, we end up doing a bad behavior or a bad action. That's the power of our mind, the power of our thoughts. It has, it has the ability to shape our life. In fact, when you were growing up, the things that you learned from people around you, especially your parents, your coaches, your teachers, the things that they said to you, the things that you learned from them, that has shaped your life, whether they said what they said was true or not. In other words, if you grow up your whole life, your formative years, you're over, maybe you're over there in the uh, kids' zone years, kindergarten through fourth grade. And, and during that time, you had someone tell you, you're worthless, you're no good, you were an accident, you don't matter, you're ugly, you're clumsy, you're uncoordinated, whatever it was, even if it wasn't true. When you hear that enough, it becomes part of your, like, your default operating system. 
It's like a factory reboot. You keep going back to that. And if you can be, I'm 54 years old, you can be, you can be five decades later still believing that lie and it has, it has shaped you and may still be shaping your decisions, your actions, your life right now. If we accept as fact, whatever we accept as fact, right or wrong, it shapes our life and it doesn't even have to be true. This is why it's so important that we tell our kids the truth. We always tell them the truth. If we believe it, it shapes us. If our kids believe it, it's going to shape them. So all of us are taught things as children, as teenagers, as, uh, as young, young adults. We're all taught things that just aren't true. And years later, we're still trying to recover from that false information or we're still being shaped and governing our lives by. Because being transformed by the way we think Learning real truth is what's going to help us. So I've got, to, I've got to learn to manage my thought life because, number one, my thoughts, they really control my life for good or for bad. I also need to manage my mind because the mind is the battleground for sin. In your mind, that's where you win or you lose the battle for sin. In fact, all temptation happens in our minds. We want to think of temptation as temptation is something that's out there. Temptation is something that's out in the world. It's out there, something external. Something happens out there, and that's tempting us. That's tempting me. But it wouldn't tempt us from out there if there wasn't a corollary desire, a corresponding desire in our heart. All temptation happens it really happens in our mind, between our ears. And as a result, sin happens in our mind. When we talk about thin, sin, sometimes we think of it it's, as actions that we do. But the reality is, when we talk about the sins of pride and resentment and bitterness and lust and hatred and anger and fear, envy, worry, most sin happens in our mind. They're all in our mind. So if we can learn to manage our mind, we're really learning to manage our life. And this is where the battleground is. The real passage that deals with this is in Romans chapter 7, where the Apostle Paul is very articulate in explaining and, and you know, giving you kind of what's going on in his mind and we've all felt like Paul. Now, Paul is like, we don't want to call him a super Christian. He, he's like the most learned, the most radical life transformation. He wrote most of the New Testament. And you would think that Paul, Paul was perfect. But he's writing to the Romans. He's, he, he's writing this, this letter. And we see in chapter 7 of Romans, verse 22 and 23, this is what Paul says. And see if you've ever felt this way. Paul says, I love God's law with all my heart. I love God's word. I love God's law with all my heart. But, circle that word, but. This is one of the big buts of the Bible. I keep telling people, someday I'm going to do a series called The Big Buts of the Bible, whenever Nancy finally lets me. She was in here when I said that today. I didn't look her way. Did any of you see what her expression was? I don't know. Um, I always want to do a sermon called The Big Buts of the Bible. This is a big but, okay? I love God's law with all my heart, but... There is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. I think we can all, we can all identify with, with that, that I love God's word. I, I'm committed to following God's word, but there's this like other side of me that continues to pull me in the wrong direction. And sometimes I feel like a slave to that sin that is still within me. And what he's saying is there is this battle going on. And the battle is in our mind. It's in our brain. It's one of the reasons why we get so mentally fatigued. Where the world, where sin, where temptation just wears us, wears us, wears us down. And when we're tired and alone and isolated, sometimes we give in. And then we're all upset with ourselves. I did it again. You know, I, I recommitted. I, I was, there's this battle that's going on. 
Sometimes we're conscious of that battle. Oftentimes we're oblivious to it. It's something that we're not even aware of. But it's going on in our lives because our brain, our mind is our greatest asset. The mind that God has given you, you can right where you're at, you can think words and have a conversation with your creator. You can talk to him and pray to him with your mind without even engaging your lips, your ears. You can you can think. It's a gift from God, our brain, our mind is. And the devil, Satan, he wants to control our mind. The world wants to control our mind. There's this battle in the way and what we think about. Why? Because whatever gets our attention usually gets us. So we need to manage our thought life. We need to manage our thoughts and our mind because my thoughts control my life and because it's the battleground for sin and temptation. One more. I've got to control my my thoughts. I've got to control my mind because it's the key to peace and happiness. Now, all of us, we would sign up. We would get in the line that says peace and happiness. We look for all kinds of ways to find peace and happiness. You want peace and happiness? Managing your mind is the key to having peace and happiness in your life. If we could learn the principles of what we're going to talk about today and then apply them to our lives, the peace in our life would dramatically go up. We have a lot more peace in our life. We would have a lot more enjoyment and happiness in our life if we could understand this. Because an unmanaged mind leads to tension. You've got a lot of tension in your life, but a managed mind leads to tranquility. An unmanaged life leads to pressure. You feel like you're under pressure? But a managed mind leads to peace. An unmanaged mind leads to conflict and chaos. But a managed mind leads to confidence. An unmanaged mind leads to stress. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Lots of stress. But if we manage our thoughts We'll have less stress. An un, a managed mind leads to strength and security and serenity instead of stress. So Romans 8, 6, same author, Paul writes, same letter, one chapter later. So let your sinful nature, Romans 8, 6, so, so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting your spirit control your mind leads to life. In peace. If we could learn how to control our thoughts, it's so important. So I want us to look at the three daily choices, three choices that we can all make. You can make these choices today, and then we can start making them every day. In fact, they're the three choices we must make in order to have a healthy mind. And a lot of people don't realize you can control your thoughts. If you've ever felt like, I I just have no control over my thoughts. My thoughts control me. You know, my thoughts are uncontrollable. No, not true. We may think they're uncontrollable, but we can control our thoughts. In fact, nobody else can control your thoughts. You can't control anybody else's thought. Have you learned this yet? Your spouse cannot control your thoughts. If your spouse could control your thoughts, oh, they would have done this by now. (laughs) Your parents cannot control your thoughts, uh, teenagers. If they could, they would, but they can't, okay? You can't control anybody else's thought either. The only one who could control your thoughts would be God, and he won't. God could, he can, but he doesn't. In fact, he, he says, God, you have to understand, God is not a control freak. You say, oh, no, God controls our thoughts. Are you kidding me? Think of some of the thoughts you've thought. That's not God controlling your thoughts. Obviously, God doesn't control your thoughts, or you wouldn't think those thoughts. It would be great. Well, God, just control my thoughts. God says, no, no, no. I'm not controlling your thoughts for you. You have to control your thoughts and bring them under submission in Christ is what he's talking about here. So what what do I need to do? What are the choices that I need to make in order to have a healthy mind, to break free from these bad patterns, these sinful patterns, these ways that I've been thinking that have been moving me more and more towards death. What do I need to do? I need to make three choices. The Bible says we should make these choices every day. The first one, I must feed my mind with truth. Now, this isn't anything you haven't heard before. I must feed my mind with God's word, the truth. We all know the importance of 
physical nutrition. You eat good food with good calories, you're going to be healthier than if you eat junk food with bad calories or poisonous food, foods that have poison in them. Bad calories, junk food, they do harm to our bodies. Good food, right vitamins, they improve our health. Same is true in our thought life. If I feed my mind on something that's not junk and not poison, but truth, then I'll be healthier. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you what? Free. It's God's truth is our owner's manual for life. It's the truth that we should feed my mind with every day. When should I do this? The answer is all the time. Throughout the day. Morning, noon, and night. To be thinking on his word, thinking on his truth, thinking on the principles. All the time. If we're constantly thinking on truth, we're renewing our mind. It's like you eat more than once a day. Even if even those of you who do those, uh, you, know, you do that fasting for 16 hours a day. You, you eat as many times a day as you can in those other eight hours, right? Those, that, that intermittent fasting thing, same thing, God's Word. You, 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 you feast on it. You feed yourself as much as you can, even if you have a limited amount of time. And you think about it all day. Now, for those of us who don't intermittent fast, you eat three meals a day, four, five. How many are you up to? Eight, nine, you know. Same thing with God's Word, as much as you can. Look what it says in Psalm. This is King David. He writes in Psalm 119.47, I rise early. Before the sun is up, I cry out for help, and I put my hope in your word. Circle the word hope. He says, I start every morning with you. I cry out. That's prayer. I listen to you. I'm reading your word. He says, I'm looking for hope in your word. It's been said that there are over 7,000 promises in God's word. 7,000 promises that you can put your hope in. In God's word. So that's your your homework is go find those 7,000. How, how about just seven? Could we just do seven? None of us could look up all 7,000 this week. But if we could find seven, that's only one a day. If I could find seven promises to put my hope into, begin to learn them, begin to, dare I say it, memorize those promises. If you feel hopeless about your situation, you're just feeling hopeless. You know, it's it's the pandemic, it's the virus, it's the... You know, you've got financially, you feel hopeless. Relationally, your marriage seems hopeless. You feel hopeless all the time. You're not spending enough time in the promises of God's word because that's where the hope is. She says, so I start my day with hope. Read some promises. Are we starting our day with hope or with despair? Early in the morning, I start thinking about God's truth. This is why David was called a man after God's own heart. The second the second daily choice that I've got to make is I've got to free my mind. I must free my mind from destructive thoughts. I feed on truth and I free my mind from destructive thoughts. It's the second thing that we have to do. Our minds need to be delivered and our minds need to be liberated. Our minds need to be released. We need to let that truth set us free because we can become a prisoner of our own thoughts. We are a prisoner of what people have told us our whole life, you know. You've been on the planet a while. They've been telling you the same thing over and over again. At some point, you start believing it, and you start telling yourself those same lies over and over again. And it doesn't matter if it's true or not. If you believe it, it's your truth. There's a lot of that today, right? It's like, well, that's true for you, but that's not true for me. This is my truth. And that's not even true, but there's some truth to it. That's part of the problem with lies is there's a half-truth. Right, And if you go through life going, well, that's not true, and that's not true, that's not true. I believe this is true, this is true, this is true. And you govern your life based on those lies that you're calling or accepting truth, then you can, no wonder we end up all messed up. So if you've been told you're clumsy your whole life, even if it's not true. I mean, you started really young, and you tripped one time, and they, they nicknamed you Klutzo. And you've been, you've been called klutzo your whole life. And truth is, you, you could be the most graceful person in here, but you'll always trip over your feet. Why? Not because you're clumsy, not because you're predisposed to that. You've been almost programmed to believe that about yourself. And you see yourself that way, the way people labeled you 
you see yourself. And you end up acting in accordance the way you see yourself. That's why it's really important that we don't, we don't label our kids with negative or untruthful labels. I've got to free my mind from destructive thoughts. Now, this isn't easy. Okay, this isn't a one and done. Oh, you heard the message. Yep, I got that. Got that down. Don't ever have to worry about this again. You'll be worrying about this or being tempted to worry about this for your whole life. Because this isn't easy. And the reason it's not easy because it's not just you. You have three enemies. I want you to write these three enemies down in just a second. But I want you to think of these three enemies. They are like trying to team tackle your mind. They, these are the things that keep us from following through with all of our good intentions. You know, we've got these good intentions, these things that we'd like to change in our life. We sometimes call them resolutions every January. We say, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm resolved to do this. I'm going to change this about my life. I'm going to do this this year. And it lasts just a couple of weeks. And it's not just willpower, lack of willpower that, that gets us there. It's you have enemies that are working against you almost 24-7 to keep you from making these changes. There's this battle that's going on against yourself, your good self-intentions, best intentions. And these, these enemies don't give up easily. The deck is stacked against you with these enemies. I mean, who are they? What are the enemies that are trying to capture my thoughts, capture my mind, keep me enslaved? Number one's my old nature. We feel that in enemy number one, my old nature. In that verse we read from Romans 7, verse 23, Paul talks about his old nature and how it keeps him in mental bondage. He says this in Romans 7:23. But there is another power, there's that big but, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. Circle the word war. This power makes me a slave. Circle the word slave. These are some strong words. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. He's using this war language. He's using these, this militaristic language. Let me put it to you this way. Do you ever find yourself doing things that you really don't want to do? I don't want to do this. Lord, help me not to do this. I don't want to do this anymore. And you find yourself, oh, here I am. I'm doing it again. It's so discouraging. It's like the millionth time I've said I don't want to do it, but I end up doing it. And I'm so discouraged with my lack of follow through my lack of change in my life that's the battle have you ever knowingly engaged in in self-defeating behavior it's like well yeah it seems like that's all i do is self-defeating but you know i know this isn't good for me but i find myself doing it anyway or you know i i tell myself i can stop any time but it doesn't end up i don't end up ever stopping what's going on there it's this battle that's going on in your brain. We all have the best intentions in our new nature. I want to do the right thing. I read you, I want to do the right thing, but the battle seems to pull us everything seems to pull us in the opposite direction. And we are so frustrated with ourselves because our old nature it's not our friend. It's the source of all of our bad habits, all of our addictions, all of our sin. Romans 8, 5, just a couple of verses later from 7, 22, and 23, Paul writes and says, Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. That's, that's what's going on. Sometimes I feel dominated by my sinful nature, and I think about sinful things, but sometimes I... I'm controlled by the Holy Spirit, and I think about things that please the Spirit. That's going on in all of our brains. It's how we think that matters. So I might have a good intention for changing something, but my old nature is fighting, fighting, fighting against it. We also have a second enemy. It's like that's not bad enough. Nope, you got, one, you got another one. Satan is your second enemy, and he wants to control our mind. He can't. But he wants to. So he sends these ideas. He bombards us with thoughts. He places thoughts in our mind. Now let me be real clear about this. Satan cannot force us to do anything. So you can't use that as an excuse. You know the excuse, the devil made me do it? Made you? Made you. The devil doesn't make us do it, okay? So we can't take that 
We can't take that as our excuse. The devil made me do it. He tempted me, but I made the choice kind of a thing. If we're a Christian, we have the Holy Spirit. Satan can't force us to do anything, but he can make suggestions. He can make temptations. He, he can bombard us with lies, place negative thoughts in our minds. You ever had that thing? Well, where did that come from? Satan puts these thoughts in. In fact, he does this the moment we wake up. You wake up in the morning, it's Monday morning, and that's the first thing you think. Oh, it's Monday. It's going to be a bad day. And he's just bombarding you with, you're going to have another bad day today. It's going to be a bad day. They're never going to accept you. They don't like you. You know, they think bad things about you. Nobody's going to like you. In fact, you're just flat out ugly. Boy, if I was as ugly as you, I wouldn't even show my face outside. And you just get these feelings, these, these thoughts. And we start, we start buying into that. We start saying, yeah, why am I even trying? Why, I, I, today's not going to be any different. It's going to be just like last Monday. It's going to be the same thing over and over again. And he starts giving us all these reasons to give up. And you just feel like, I, I just feel so defeated. I mean, I've only been up for, for 15 minutes, and I feel so defeated. So what am I going to do? I'll go look at Facebook. That'll make me feel better. I don't think so, you know, instead of putting my face in the book. And he's going to drop these little thoughts and say, sometimes he thought other, other thoughts are like, go ahead, you deserve it. You deserve one of those. Go ahead. Go ahead and get angry. Get even. You know, I can't believe he, I can't believe he said that about you. I can't believe she, she treated you that way. And it's like the cartoon with the little, the little devil guy with the pitchfork. He's not on your shoulder, folks. He's a lot closer than that. He's in your head. He's placing those thoughts. He's not whispering in your ear. He's whispering in your conscience. And he's just dropping these thoughts. Now, when the devil gives us a thought, we call that temptation. When God gives us a thought, we call that inspiration. And God is also planting thoughts, bringing up, reminding you of verses, reminding you of truth. We call that inspiration. Both of these things are going on, and we've got to decide, what am I going to focus on here? But both of them are putting thoughts in our, in our mind. We have an enemy. One, it's the flesh. Two, it's the devil. Third enemy, as if we need a third one. What's the third enemy? The, the world's value system. That's the culture that's around us. The, the world, the flesh, and the devil all lined up against us. The world is not trying to help us to become a more disciplined person, are they? The world, there's very little in society that says you should, be, you should have self-discipline. No, it's like every advertisement, even from your childhood. You know, you, you, know, you deserve a break today, right? Have it your way. Even your favorite burger joint's been in on it, you know, trying to drag you in the wrong direction. You know, the, the world's value system that's promoted by advertisers, promoted by Hollywood, is promoted by every song, every movie, every celebrity, it seems. There's nobody around us that's encouraging us to live a responsible, mentally healthy lifestyle. 1 John 2.16 tells us why. For the world offers only a craving of physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride. In the achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. Everything around us, the commercials, the media, the entertainment, it's not encouraging us to think smart, think healthy, think wise, focus on the truth. They're encouraging us to do the other thing. That's why there's this battle going on. So how do we fight this battle? It seems like there's just no hope. We have all these best intentions for changing We've done this so many times. We've intended, we've intended, we've intended, we've started over, we started over. Yet these three enemies seem to always, this triple threat of our old nature, the devil and the world around us. No wonder we keep struggling with discouragement and despair and depression and failure and all of those things. How do we fight? The blueprint for the battle of fighting is found in 2 Corinthians 10. Verse 3 to 5. And it tells us, I'm going to read you this, we'll, we'll, we'll go through it slowly. It tells us that we are, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. 
we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons. He's talking about the mental battle that we're going through. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds. Circle the word strongholds. We're going to come back to this word in just a couple minutes. God's down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. That's False arguments are, are the lies, the arguments going on in your mind. Verse 5, we destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. And here's the important part. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. Now, again, this is like battle language, warfare language, militaristic kind of talk. He's talking about this battle that's going on, this mental battle. He says we've got to knock down strongholds. What is a stronghold? A stronghold is any lie that I believe. If I believe a lie long enough, it becomes a stronghold. If I believe it, it's not true. It's a lie. But if I believe it, I believe it, I believe it, I believe it. I believe it for my whole life. It becomes a lifelong stronghold. A spiritual stronghold is is a lie that I believe. So it maybe maybe spiritually the the lie, one of the biggest lies that those three enemies, the flesh, the world, the devil lie about is, maybe you've heard this one, God doesn't really love me. If I, everything in life tries to tell us God doesn't love me. In fact, and not only tell me that God doesn't love me, but I should be afraid of God. And, and if you go through life believing God doesn't love you, if you believe that lie, and, and you go through life with God doesn't love me, I have to look out for myself. You'll be afraid of God. You'll run from God. In fact, there are certain religious people call themselves Christians and everything, and they'll focus all about how God is angry, God is mad, God's wrath, He's out to get you. Some of you grew up in religious environments like this. And, and what you learned is I should be afraid of God, and I should run from God, and I should hide from God. That, folks, is not the truth of there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Romans 8, 1. So if you, you can even buy some religious lies, misapply them, live your whole life afraid of God, running from God. God doesn't love me is what you believe because it becomes a stronghold. Another lie is that I know better than God what's going to make me happy in life. You'll go through your whole life hearing this. Oh, in fact, well-intending people say, well, God wants me to be happy, doesn't he? Well, God helps those who help themselves, doesn't he? Lie, lie, lie. They take a little bit of truth and twist it all around. If you go through life thinking, I know what's best for me. God doesn't know what's best for me. He doesn't even love me. Then you can see how this becomes a stronghold. And you are mentally, you're enslaved by that. And it's no wonder why you run from God. Or why you keep God at a distance. Because I don't believe that God loves me. Listen, this isn't anything that's new. This has been happening forever. He says we've got to capture those thoughts. How do you do that? How do you capture the thoughts? He says we're going to learn to be mentally healthy. We've got to demolish the strongholds. Because behind every sin is a lie we're believing. The Bible calls Satan the father of lies. Jesus says, I'm the truth, and the truth will set you free. Satan is a liar. He lies to enslave us. That stronghold has to be destroyed. How do we fight? First, he says to capture. Circle that phrase, capture. I think that's in the last part of that sentence. The last sentence, the second word in 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 on your outline. How do you, how do you, the other phrase to, to uh, circle is obey Christ. How do you do that? How do you, how do you capture a thought and obey Christ? It's exactly what Kristen was talking about when she said she, whenever she has thoughts that don't line up with that verse from Philippians, um, think on these things that she, with the help of the Holy Spirit, sets that aside and then refocuses back to those things. In other words, how do you make your mind mind you? Well, we have to take those thoughts captive. We have to take our mind and make sure that it's obedient to God's word. I don't know about you, my mind, my brain rebels. Does your brain rebel sometimes? 
And I kind of know what the truth is, but I'm like, whoa, look at that squirrel. You know, I'm, I'm over here. Um, it, has it, it, it's just, it goes in its own direction, it seems. He says to take that captive. What he means is you have a choice. You and I, we have a choice of what we choose to focus on. He's given us a will and emotions. We'll talk about emotions next week, but God has given us a will. And as an act of our will, we can choose what we think. Here's how it works in my life. Kristen shared with you. So let's say there's something in my life that I'm tempted to worry about. By the way, in, in, this, in this world, you could worry full time, couldn't you? You could worry 24 hours a day and never run out of anything to worry about and not get around to all the things that there are to worry about. There's that many things to worry about if you wanted to give in the temptation to worry. So for me, if I'm driving in the car and I'm tempted to worry about, you, you know, anything that I'm worried, tempted to worry about, I'll pray and I'll say out loud. Now, God doesn't need me to say out loud for him. I've already told you, you can just think your thought to God. But I say it out loud for me. I say, so if you look over there and you see Pastor Jerry, he looks like he's talking to himself. I'm not singing. I, I'm, I, I'm probably declaring or praying to God out loud. And I'll say, God, I'm not going to worry about this, whatever it is. I'm not going to worry about this relationship, this situation, this financial need, this virus, this health situation. I'm not going to worry about this, even though I feel like I'm worrying. You know, I have worry feelings. I'm feeling worried. I feel worried. I'm tempted to worry, and I'm declaring to God, I'm not going to worry. I'm going to trust you instead. God, I'm going to trust you with this. I don't feel like trusting you with this. I feel worried about this or I'm tempted to be worried, but I'm going to trust you with this. I say that for me. That's a declaration of my will, even though I don't feel it. We'll talk about feelings next week. Even though I don't feel it, I'm going to say, I'm going to trust you with this. That's a declaration of our will. You get to choose what you declare with your will, even though you don't feel it, even though there's not a lot of evidence that I'm not following through yet. In God... He hears that prayer, whether I say it out loud or not. But when I hear it, that helps me go, nope, I'm done worrying about that. I'm choosing not to worry about that. Does it solve anything for me? Nope, the circumstances don't change. What changes is my attitude, my heart. So when my mind starts feeling tempted, I make a declaration of my will. And the reason why this is so important, you have to understand how, how temptation works. I just want to, in our closing moments, I want to, have you write down the four stages or steps, kind of the pattern of temptation. Temptation almost always works this way. I want to say always, but I know there's somebody smart enough here to probably come up, well, there's this one outlier. Yep, you can have your one outlier or two outliers, but from the pattern of temptation goes all the way back to the garden, all the way back to the very first temptation. And we find this pattern listed in the New Testament in James chapter 1. We taught through James, you know, this summer. So it's probably the beginning of the summer, maybe around, I don't know, around June or so. We should have been in James chapter 1. And it says in verse 14 and 15, Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us. Circle the word entice. Entice us and drag us away. We'll talk about entice in a couple minutes. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So notice that temptation is a process. It's not an isolated event. People feel like sometimes that you hear people say, well, I was just totally caught off guard. I had, you know, I'm just minding my business. Next thing you know, I you know, had a one-night stand. Look, affairs don't happen overnight, okay? You might have had a one-night, but it didn't start that night. You, in other words, you didn't go from, I just had my transformations, quiet time, and next thing you know, I'm waking up in the arms of someone. No, 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 no. You, you took a whole lot of steps in the wrong direction before you ever got to that point. You lowered the barrier so far. You don't just fall off a cliff into something like that. The Bible says exactly there's four phases to the temptation. The first step is desire. Fill in the word desire. He says, the lure of our desire is inside of us. It's something that doesn't start out there. It starts in here. It doesn't start on a street corner. It doesn't start on, on TV. It's something that's in our mind. It begins with a natural. It's a, even a natural desire, not even an evil desire oftentimes. You know, God has given you a lot of natural desires. You have a natural desire for sleep. You have a natural desire for food, natural desire for water, natural desire for sex, natural, na, natural desire for success in life. 
These are all given God-given drives. Nothing wrong with any of those. But temptation turns routine desires into runaway desires. And that's what makes it bad. It becomes more important than anything else. And it's all that you can think about and all that you can live for. A desire out of control is destructive. Like fire. Is fire good or fire or is fire bad? Good or bad? Well, it depends. A fire in a fireplace can warm you. That's good. A fire on the stove can cook great meals. That's good. But a fire out of control can burn your house down. That's bad. God's, even God's gifts, misused and abused, will burn your life down. Any of them will. Misuse and abuse can mess us up. And most of the time, temptation is an attempt to fulfill a legitimate desire in, an, in, a, in a wrong way. People say, well, I just want to be loved. Well, that's okay. Everybody wants to be loved. Until you start looking for love in all the wrong places, right? Your desire to be loved is a good thing. Looking for love in too many or all the wrong places is the problem. That makes sense? So temptation doesn't start out there. It starts in here. Step two is doubt. Doubt. We, what we do in doubt is we begin to doubt really two things. We start doubting that God loves us. And we start doubting that God knows best for us. We doubt that God loves us, that God knows best for us. Again, this goes all the way back to the first sin ever, Adam and Eve. But it's really, here's what we're like, does God really say, did God really say that? That's what we question. Did God really say that? Did God really say to not have sex outside of marriage? Did he really say that? Is that what he really meant? Does God really say forgive that person instead of get even with that person? Does God really say that? Does God really say it's more blessed to give than to receive? And we start doubting God's word. And and this is what happened with Adam and Eve. They were in a perfect environment. They were in paradise. How do you mess that up? I mean, they only had one one wrong choice. Only one tree that they couldn't eat of. And, and Satan shows up. He says, see that tree over there? The one tree, they're right there. He says, God... Did God really say, he questions his word, did God really say you shouldn't eat from that tree? And then they say, then they start questioning, does God want what's best for him? Well, God knows if you eat that tree, you're going to be as smart as he is. What is he doing? He's getting them to doubt that God loves them, doubt that God wants what's best for them. That's what what he still does. Does God really love me? Does he really want what's best for me? Does his word really matter? I mean, it's 2021. Does this really matter? Uh, is, Is it really the same? Every time we get in, even to give into the temptation, we're believing those lies. We think we know better than God of what's best for us. We think we know what will make us happy, or at least happy in the moment, better than what God does. Did God really say that? Does God really love me? Does God really, or is God just being kind of old-fashioned? The third step is deception. The third thing that Satan does is he replaces God's truth with a lie. He's, he, he questions, did God really say that? Then he starts telling you the, a lie. Well, he says to Eve, to Adam, you won't really die if you eat this. God has already told them if you eat from this tree, you're going to die. And then, no, 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 you won't really die. You, 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 can't, you can't die from that. So he goes from... From doubting them to helping them with deception, he gives you this lie. Temptation, notice it says in that verse, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us. That word entice is like a fishing term. Any of you fish? If you've ever fished before, you know fish eat bait. That's how you catch fish. And you have to fish with the right bait to catch the fish you want to. In other words, salmon bites one bait, trout bite another bait. Um, certain fish feed on different things at different seasons of the year. And a good fisherman selects the right bait. The question is, what kind of bait does Satan use in your life to kind of hook you? Do you even know? I mean, he's hooked you, he's hooked you, he's hooked you, he's hooked you, he's hooked you. He goes, well, this bait really works. I don't need to change my bait. You know, they keep going for this. How many, how many times has he enticed you, used the right bait, got her hooked, 
got her hooked again. And, and sometimes even when we know it's dangerous, we just keep nibbling, don't we? Um, we, we know there's a hook. We know there's bait on it. We're like, we're confident. We're like, well, I'm not going to get hooked this time. I'm just going to nibble around the edges, right? And it's like people with addictions that say, well, I can stop, you know, I can, I can stop whenever I want. I'm not, a, I'm not addicted. I can stop whenever I stop. I stopped three times yesterday. You know, I can stop whenever I want kind of a thing. They're deceived. They bought into the deception. It's like people who flirt at the office or flirt online. You see it. You're like, oh, this is, well, I've seen this bad movie before. This can only go south. This is only going to go in a bad place. We know there's a hook there. You know, it's, but hey, I'm an adult. I can handle it. I won't get hurt. I'll be careful. And reel them in. They're being deceived. Last one, step four. You go from desire to doubt to deception to disobedience and defeat. Now we move to it's something that I want. From something I want, desire, to I doubt God's word and his love, to deception, I believe the lies. And then I think it's okay. I'm going to do it. And it becomes sin. And my attitude becomes, what, what gets my attention then becomes my attitude and after it's my attitude, it becomes my, my action. So I want you to write this down in the margin somewhere. I didn't have to give you a blank to fill this in. What I flirt with, I'll fall for. Whatever I flirt with, I'll fall for. It may be a, it may be a brownie, you know. You flirt with brownies, you will fall for brownies. You walk into the kitchen, you're like, oh, that smells so good. But, man, let me tell you, if you'll take the lid off of that cake cover and get your nose really close, it smells, I'm still just smelling it. I mean, I'm just, I'm just flirting with the brownies. Man, it smells so good. Let me tell you, somebody who's had a lot of brownies, you keep smelling that brownie, all of a sudden you'll be going, there's no more brownies. And you will suffer the consequences in life. You see, we're free to choose. God gives us the freedom to choose, but we are not free to choose the consequences. There are a lot of brownies in life that you can flirt with, you can smell, you can partake of. But if you eat all the brownies, there's consequences. Some of the consequences are known, and some of the consequences are unknown, unintended consequences. But the Bible tells us that you're going to reap what you sow so the best time to win the battle of temptation is before it happens way back on the desire section so that's why i want to i want to feed my mind with god's truth i want to free my mind from destructive thoughts i want to know how to how temptation works and the last thing don't worry i'll rattle this off fast i didn't add any beyond this one i must focus my mind on the right things as Kristen's verse had said Focus my mind on the right things that will make the most, dif- most difference in my mental state. You want to know what to think about? Think about Jesus. Think about others. And think about eternity. You realize how anti-culture or counter-culture that is. Everything in the world teaches you to think about yourself. Self and selfishness. This teaches us to think about Jesus, about others, and about eternity. How many times has you've heard people use the phrase, I, I'm going to do what's best for me. God wants me to be happy. I'm going to look out for number one. It's all about me. So I've got to feed my mind on truth every day. I've got to free myself, get away from those destructive thoughts in my life. And then I've got to focus on the right things. What am I focused on? This is why I always talk about spend time with God. Read his word. Fill your mind with his word. Get your mind off of problems and focus and keep your focus on him. Let's ask him to pray. Let's pray and ask him to help us about this. You'll bow with me. Heavenly Father, you, you gave us our minds and we are made in your image. And our mind, our brain, the ability to communicate to you is probably the greatest gift 
you've ever given us, this gift of intellect. And we realize that it's our greatest asset, but it is also our greatest battleground. And we realize that we have, we have in, not an enemy, but we have enemies. We've got the world, we've got the flesh, we've got the devil all teaming up to try to thwart our best intentions. So, Lord, we're going to ask you for help. We need help in this area. And then why don't you pray right where you're at? And just say, use this mind that God's given you. You don't have to say it out loud. Just think these thoughts and say, yes, God, help me to put into practice what I've just learned. Just say that in your mind. God, please help me to put into practice what I've just learned. Help me to make these choices on a daily basis. I want to feed my mind with your truth all the time. I want to free my mind from destructive thoughts by taking every thought captive to make it obedient to you, Jesus. To not just let my mind run wild. Help me to be wise to temptation. To realize it when my desires turn into doubt. And that turns into deception. And that turns into disobedience. God, today, I'm going to make my mind to obey your word forever, no matter what. Help me to learn your word, learn your truth, and obey it, no matter what. And help me to spend my time refocusing, thinking about Jesus, thinking about others, thinking about eternity, so that my mind and my life can be truly transformed. Lord, please change me during this series. Help me this week to feed on your truth and to get those thoughts away, destructive thoughts away, and to turn or refocus my mind on you. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Hey again. Thanks for joining us for another great Sunday service. I hope all of your 50 days of transformation groups are going incredible this week. I know I am looking forward to mine tonight. Also, if you have any prayer needs, you can comment below or head on over to SeminoleChurch.com forward slash prayer because we'd love to be praying for you. Well, that's it for this morning, SEC. Thanks again for watching, and we hope you have a great week. See ya.